Hello and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up the Riff Raff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guidance and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. Today, we're talking to Natasha Bell, author of Exhibit Alexandra, about how to write plot twists that your readers won't see coming, and if it matters when they do, whether genre is still important when it comes to writing fiction, and the joy of prioritising your writing, whether you're taking an academic course or a trip to Southeast Asia. Thursday, 21st of February, 2013, the beginning. Mark sat on the bottom stair and tried not to think the worst. The voice continued. The vast majority of people return safe and well within the first 48 hours, Mr. Southwood. There's no need to panic. There was a pause. Mark knew he should take comfort from this. Sit tight and wait for his wife to return with a perfectly reasonable explanation. The officer said goodnight and the line clicked dead, as if that had solved the problem, as if Mark should have felt better. Six hours down, 42 to go. I wish I could put myself there with him. I'd wrap first my arms and then my legs around his body, cling to him until we lost our balance and tumbled to the hallway floor. Tell him with my touch the one thing he needed to know that night. I'm here, right here. He stood up and replaced the receiver, severing his fingertip connection to the phone call and his one active plan to do something. The hairs on his arms stood on end as he shivered to a silent beat of something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. Perhaps he shouldn't have phoned the police. After all, I was a grown woman. Perhaps it was over the top to report me missing. It's not as if I had a curfew. But I was a mother. My children were home and I was not. It's so unlike her. Mark had said that to the officer a moment ago. It had felt like a whine. That childish word laughably impotent in the face of explaining the absolute abnormality of a woman who had always come home, day after day, year after year, not walking through our front door that night. I was meant to have returned by the time he brought the girls back from swimming. We should have ordered a takeaway. We should have sat with our chow mein chattering about open days and council cuts. He tried my phone again. Off as usual. My little Luddite, he'd called me when, I, when he asked if I wanted an iPhone for my birthday and I said I was perfectly happy with the two-year-old handset I had. It made calls and showed me my emails. What more did I want? He should have pestered me more. Another man would have given me one anyway synced our calendars and address books, downloaded an app to keep tabs on me, made sure I couldn't get lost. It's Thursday, for God's sake, Mark said aloud. He paced to the window to peer onto the street again. I wouldn't miss Thursday takeaway without a reason. He raised his hand, scratched his left temple. He tried to explain to the officer. Was Jones his name? Officer Jones thought we'd had a fight. People disappeared all the time. I didn't, though. I'd spent the day at work. Mark had rung my colleague Paula to check. She said we'd walked out of the building together. I'd wished her a good weekend because she had Friday off to attend some family wedding. She'd told me she'd try, though she hated the things, and we'd parted with a wave. Whole hours had elapsed since that exchange. It was now 11pm. It was dark. Such things bothered my husband. It didn't matter that I'd lived alone in cities before we met. It didn't matter that I'd spent more than a year wandering the streets of Chicago, an optimistic student wearing an armour of Pap's best against the gangs and gun crime statistics. It didn't matter that I'd once parachuted from a plane, that I'd accidentally hit a black slope the first time I strapped skis to my feet, that I'd backpacked around India and spent a month living in a roach-infested squat in Alphabet City. 
My husband saw me as something fragile. He walked me home and met me from trains. He wanted to protect me. Hello, Tasha. Thank you so much for joining us on the Riffraff Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Very, very welcome. We're so glad to have you here. Um, let's kick off. If you could tell us a little bit about what your book, Exhibit Alexandra, is about. Uh, okay, so it is a missing person story that is about love and loss. Um, I'm still working out how to talk about it <laughs> without giving away the ending. So that's about what I can say at the moment. Okay. Ooh, intriguing. <laughs> very intriguing. <laughs> So, um, obviously you don't want to give too much away, but can you, the plot's quite, you know, an unusual plot, it's an exciting plot. So can you tell us a little bit how you came up with that and how long it took you to kind of write the book and work on everything? Uh, Okay, so it took forever. Um, I've been working on this book for seven or eight years, which is quite depressing when you think about it, but it's... um, That's how you get a masterpiece. Well, (laughs) fingers crossed. Uh, But... The thing that came really quickly was the plot. So it took me about three months to write the first draft. And although probably every word has changed (laughs) since the first draft, the plot and the world has stayed the same. Uh, So uh, what inspired it, I was living in York at the time, so this was around like 2010. And um, I think anyone living in York had to be really affected by the case of Claudia Lawrence, who was a chef at the University of York who went missing. And um, her family were on the news a lot. And I just watching that and seeing what a family goes through when they just don't know. And so that sort of um, sparked some research into missing people. Um, and I came across all these statistics, like quarter of a million people go missing in the UK every year, uh, which is mind blowing. And a lot of them you just never know and I was so I started thinking like what is that like to just live not knowing what has happened um and how do you um continue life living in that limbo so that was the spark um and then the kind of the trying to figure out why someone would go missing that um it is a quite difficult book for you to talk about yeah isn't it so, so there are other things going on apart from the missing person story, um, and a lot to do with gender and relationships and what you change about yourself to be with the person you love. Yeah. That's, I love that that element to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we, we, yeah, we've got so many questions to ask you about that because it's something that's really kind of hooked us both in. What's your background? Were you always a writer? Have you always written? Did you come to writing quite late? Um, no, so I've written. I've been writing for about a decade. I um, started off writing non-fiction I um, did a master's in my early 20s and came back and started a graduate job and was miserable and I was like oh and there was sort of uh, personal things going on and I just felt like I needed to kind of write them out with myself so I quit my graduate job got a job in a coffee shop prioritized writing uh, but almost as soon as I'd sort of written that non-fiction self part out of me found some closure that's when my brain switched over to fiction. So I've pretty much been doing that and working rubbish little jobs to prioritise writing ever since. Um, God, that sounds very yeah. familiar. <laughs> yeah, well, and we've, in fact, we've got questions about that as well. So just like your book, we will be coming on to it later. Stay tuned. How did you write a book that has, you know, twists and turns without giving much away? And did you give you, did you, was did you... <laughs> Right. What I'm trying to say is, did you, was it in the rewriting that you kind of went back and dropped hints for the reader along the way? Or did you know at the outset where you were going to take the reader to throw red herrings? Because it's a really, yeah, it's a real skill. Definitely in the rewriting. I was in complete denial that I was writing 
thriller. I mean, I still struggle to say that word. Um, And it wasn't until I was working with an editor that she was like, no, this is a thriller and you need to like send us this way or that. And I was like, no, it's just, it's, it's Alex's story. Like we're going from the beginning to the end. So I took a lot of convincing. um, But obviously I'm pleased with the end result. Um, And I think it does, it serves the story to have that that kind of mystery and that trying to figure it out so did you have how how do you kind of with those so writing in those kind of red herrings and like mm. the kind of little suggestions and stuff like that like there's so many of them like from the first page there's so there's I feel like there's little hints and tips about not tips but like hints about their relationship and mm-hmm. little bits and pieces and like do you, how do you kind of get draw a fine like how what's the how do you manage to balance the ones that are kind of like the sort of like ones that really might spark something from the ones that are kind of more of a diversion tactic like do you I, have to sort of go back in and like painstakingly mm, think that's a good time to put I just want to know more I don't about know that. I hope they're not really red herrings that feels really disingenuous to me like I, and I think that's where I was really struggling with like I see. whether this is a thriller or not because I didn't want to write anything that's like oh I want to make the reader think that mm-hmm. this is happening yeah. um and actually ta-da <laughs> you were what, wrong I so I think no but but so I think for me to feel like um they were justified they had to be true to the story so I I think everything there is the truth within the fictional context but just deciding when to tell which bits of truth yeah so it's more about kind of holding stuff back and then then pacing pacing, and and yeah like what my editor was really good at uh, making me think about was she was like why does this have to exist here Mm. and not in another chapter or whatever like why how how does everything have to be in the place it is? Which, you know, when you're just writing for yourself, you're just yeah, like, yeah, la, yeah. la la la, here's a scene. I, th- I think I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it sort of fits. Yeah, and I those are the bits that come naturally, but then I suppose when you're trying to make it as tight as possible, mm-hmm. that's when you have to kind of... Everything has to be justified. Yeah. And, it yeah. shows the value of a really great editor yeah. as yeah. well. So when so when you pitched it, like, did you, was there quite a lot of work done on it afterwards with the editor? Um, yeah, so we went through, I think, three rounds of edits. Um... So yeah, like, I've been working on this for a long time, um, but but yeah, there's always more work to do. Yeah. <laughs> and the book is narrated solely by Alex. Yeah. Um, and it's it's gripping. Her voice is so strong, and it's it's a really good narrative voice, and it's really compelling. But did you ever kind of feel under pressure to bring another voice in? Did you? How did you go about maintaining Alex's voice so that it just it could carry an entire book? Uh, well, actually, it came quite late. So the first draft I wrote, I think, was in like diary form from Mark's point of view. And um, in sort of years of rewriting, I think I've cycled through every version of tense and person and style and everything. And like, and I mean, whole rewrites of like, I've changed the whole tense of this book. Um, but so Alex's voice probably only came a couple of years ago. And but when it did, it felt right. And I think what I hadn't realised until then was that this was Alex's story, even though a lot of it is what Mark and her children go through when she's not there. I mean, that's the main part of the book, but it is, it's all about her. Yeah. So it had to be told in her voice. You must know all of the characters so well then. <laughs> like, what a great um, technique 
for like writers to kind of actually pick another character and write from yeah, their yeah, point yeah. of view for a while. So we were going to ask about, about character development and how you kind of found those characters, but then I suppose you wrote them all in loads of different ways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I taught myself how to write. Hopefully I taught myself how to write writing this book, um, but it was trial and error a lot. So you said that you, um, you mentioned earlier that you did just, you finished an MA in creative writing at Goldsmiths. Yeah. So did you go, you obviously went into that course with the book kind of in some kind of form. Like how did that course maybe help you shape the book or? Um, yeah, well, it was fundamental to getting it um, published. Uh, I, in my first term, I workshopped the first few tar- chapters of this, which I, I'd gone into the MA actually thinking like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna write short stories. I'm gonna like really master this craft. Like I've tried writing this novel, like nobody wants it, whatever. And then all of my classmates were writing novels, and I was like, oh, I like novels. Yeah. <laughs> so I workshopped this, and then, um, and that was really, really helpful. And then as part of the course, uh, Goldsmiths produces an anthology, mm. which I didn't really think very much about, um, but I put in the first few chapters. And then to my surprise and delight, got contacted by some agents Amazing. and then signed with my agent and eventually got a publishing deal. So it was kind of one of those things that you kind of get what you want when you're not looking for it. Yeah. I'd, I'd gone into the MA having had a bit of experience with publishing that had not really made me as happy as I wanted it to be and had... Like this kind of internal dilemma about like, do I still want to write? And do I want to write if even if nobody reads me? And I was yeah. like, I do. And I want to be the best writer I can be, regardless of publication. And that's why I did the MA. Um, like it was quite, it felt quite self-indulgent. I was like, this is mm. for me. Um, but then, yeah. And what a joy, because like, doing that short story writing course that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. like Cosmos too. like the joy of just thinking about writing in that level of detail is, I feel like it's a little yeah. bit of luxury too, but like it's such, it's so lovely to think about it on that level and so much. It really <laughs> legitimises it. That's what I found mm-hmm. going to Goldsmiths because I'd been writing on my own for so long and like, and it's fine and it, you know, you do it because you have to, but you get kind of fed up of like seeing your friends in the pub and they're like so how's your novel and I'm like yeah I'm rewriting it for the 18th time and I've got nothing to tell you um that's different from the last time and you sort of feel like your life is on pause while everyone else is like you know having real jobs and things and then I started the MA and suddenly you're given this wonderful group of friends who you can sit over lunch with and talk about your characters like they're real people and like and it's okay to say oh I can't come out tonight I'm working on my MA in a way that it's not I'm rewriting my novel again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So. And did and so did, were they? They you were able to kind of develop the character of Alex a bit more, sort of in that in that context. Yeah. Um, so so I only really worked on this in the first term, um, just the first few chapters, and that was uh, really helpful, I think, in like getting the tension. Um, but um, a lot of the work was done beforehand, and actually, I spent my MA writing. Uh, non-fiction so that's oh, what my dissertation was so Very um, what was your dissertation on um I was playing with um some kind of like theoretical memoir stuff like I'm quite excited by people like Maggie Nelson and Chris Krause and things so cool. which kind of leads me on to mm-hmm. my next question about unreliable narrators mm-hmm. because that's obviously a huge part of that sort of genre um, and what what challenges did you kind of come up against in terms of creating a really authentic, unreliable narrator, do you think she's unreliable? That's an interesting question again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think what excites me about um, the way I'm telling this, so it's it's not just an unreliable narrator; it's an absent narrator, yeah. which 
I I realise I've been playing with in something else as well, so it's obviously got something stuck in my brain. Um, and I'm hoping that's not just that I'm scared of the third person <laughs> and trying to find a way to write in the third person with, without actually doing it. But um, I'm really interested in like who owns stories and whether there's any truth. Um, and certainly, like when you're looking at kind of memoir and nonfiction, like what is truth? Like someone's memoir is only there their version and mm. anyone else picks it up and they're like well I lived this and that's not how I remember yeah, it yeah. so I, and I think that's true of fiction as well and like we're asked to suspend our disbelief and listen to a character and an author um, but it, obviously it's all their version yeah. um, and I guess this is just pushing that a bit further in that Alex is imagining what happened yeah. to her it has family? Interesting, like element to it, like because you know, because you know that, that it's kind of it is telling you what that the reader what happens, but then at the same time, it's she's telling you what she thinks happens. So like, but, yeah. then, but then there's also these hints about the fact that she does know what some of the stuff that's happening. Mm-hmm. So like, it's oh, obviously I'm not going to say too much, but like, so it's kind, it is, yeah, it grips you right yeah. from like right from the start, and okay. it's, it's it's such a pacey novel. Like I love a book that makes you just go, oh, I have to keep on reading. I love that kind of sensation, and you've nailed it um so what um how did you approach the pacing was that kind of like a natural thing to keep to keep sort of like drop those little like hanger on like I love the way that you put the kind of what's going on with her captor mm-hmm. kind of in there to sort of round off other chapters like it just it keeps you kind of you're like oh fuck, you know like that's like oh what's going on here so like how did you how did you do it um so trial and error I suppose I mean I think earlier drafts were much messier and I was like oh I feel like I want to write about this bit now and um and then in the editing process it just sort of comes together and you have to like tighten and tighten your structure um and so I had like huge spreadsheets with like multiple timelines cool. and trying to work things out and I back and forth to my editor and she's like can you change this I'm like well no because this happened in 1998 on, like July 1st and this one was like so we can't change that but like so the timeline is quite um enormous and complicated but when um when we kind of hit upon this like so there's sort of like four different types of chapter yeah (laughs) um and they're pretty regularly structured Mm. and once you do that the rest kind of falls into place yeah Mm. oh it's such a pleasure pleasure to read i love talking about structure yeah i'm such a a structure nerd i I feel like structure is the easiest way to edit or i find it like Mm. when when you know something's not working when you finally have an idea about your structure or like your frame that feels right then it kind of rewrites itself. I think I spend a lot of time pondering structure. Mm-hmm. Like my book, my first book was really like really structured, and my second book's got a, a real structure to mm-hmm. it too. And I think that until I and the first time I like I could if I, I couldn't really get started until I knew what that structure was. And so I think that yep. for me, having that in place is really important. Like just kind of knowing what you're putting where. And, mm. Yeah, and like figuring it out. I'm the thing I'm writing at the moment. I'm sort of flailing around for a structure, I guess, um, and that yeah, makes it feels <laughs> yeah, it makes it feel really ungrounded. And I sort of know that eventually I'll land on something, but until I do, yeah. I can't really get stuck it into it. It'll come. And yeah. On mm. that point, like so, you, you said that it took you kind of seven, eight years to write this mm-hmm. book. Like you know, when we've spoken to other authors that have taken that long and stuff like the sort, and and they all they've all written kind of complicated like books, which obviously this is as well. And it's like that. Do you think it's possible to write a book that's got that much going on in a shorter space of time? Because like obviously, like writing is like you know it, what you start writing becomes something massively different. Mm-hmm. So like it's and it's only having that time that helps you 
come to the res- the sort of solutions that you do. Yeah. So I just wonder whether you think it's possible. I hope so. Uh, so <laughs> I'm on a two book deal, so I, I meant to deliver book two sometime next year. <laughs> um, so, but I've just I just went away for a couple of months actually oh, to try and like write and travel and just get out of my life, um, which was great. So for nine weeks, I wrote every day. And then went and played tourist in the afternoon. Where were you? Uh, Southeast Asia. Oh, nice. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> but I, I recommend well, it. I'd say <laughs> it's a nice way going to write. To Southeast Asia in February. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, I know. Um, um, but awesome. one of the other themes that you mentioned that I'm that I said as, as I said, me and Amy are really interested in is the idea of kind of challenging sort of you know, especially what women are mm-hmm. expected to do with their lives, the sort of conventions of a normal in in commas mm-hmm. life, of, you know, having children and a sort of stable nine-to-five job and the sort of idea of domesticity what made you kind of want to pick up on those themes is it something that you share those frustrations that you share and it really struck me that maybe those are sort of things that a lot of writers struggle with that actually we all want to sort of like abandon the conventions of you know I think just a lot of women struggle with it um I like certainly I came up with a plot of this in my mid-20s I guess and I was yeah, trying to figure out what to do with my life, where I wanted to be. I was in a relationship that felt like really important and that I did want to commit to, but that wasn't necessarily, you know, it, it that does limit you in terms of you're always making a compromise about like where you want to live. Like you, you're not as free as you are when you're 19 and you're like, I'm going to go and like travel the world yeah. and have no responsibilities. And so it was just kind of working out the the different drives from your life um yeah yeah and it it the other kind of part of that is the idea of sort of wanting a bit more mm-hmm. yourself i think there's a real you know i suppose to an extent writing is a bit of a vanity project to an extent you know it's kind of that fine line between just you know wanting to share and wanting to have something tangible that mm. you know is is an achievement and mm-hmm. i think that's something that women don't feel that they can always express the idea of sort of wanting something a bit more from yeah. their lives is that kind of if you had those sort of thoughts and impulses and yeah absolutely I mean you're looking you're looking for purpose aren't you and um, <laughs> yeah and and I think that was what like I before I started the masters I was I got kind of low about writing because I was like what am I doing it for and like publishing doesn't seem to be like the be all and end all and obviously it's never going to pay the bills and all of this lot but you kind of you then realise it's it's just there, it's in your belly and you can't yeah. ignore it. So and, but that's sort of ultimately manifests as Alexandra, doesn't it? Because she does have the husband and the kids. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I mean she's got the perfect life. Um it's just is that enough? Mm. And and hopefully what the book is asking is like how that is different for the genders and how because she and Mark should be in the same position, mm. but they're they're not. Um and I think reactions to the book. I'm I'm excited to see how people react to Alexandra because I'm aware she's a bit of a Marmite character. Like some people will love her, some people will hate her. But I would like the people who hate her to kind of wonder, to question whether they would feel the same if the genders were reversed and if Mark was in 
Alexandra's position because I think we do judge women yeah. very differently. And I was just yeah. thinking, like, oh my God, you know, how dare a woman want something more for her life mm-hmm. than just, or maybe she wants kids and she wants to have something to show you mm-hmm. for, from a personal achievement point of view. It's just such a, I think, I think it's an issue I feel quite strongly about. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's coming across. <laughs> but, um, have, you, have you read is your Emma Flint, The Little Death? Yes, have you, have you yeah, yeah. Because yeah. she, she was so passionate about mm-hmm. kind of writing about how women are treated in the media Absolutely. and how they're kind of like just judged like automatically and that kind of stuff. And she's yeah. I feel like and all her books might be about that. Yeah, and especially mothers mm-hmm. as well. This idea that if you're a mother, that's it. Say yeah. bye bye to all your kind of personal hopes and, and that dreams. book really stays with you, doesn't it? Because yeah. although it's kind of historical, it is so relevant today, yeah. isn't it? Like you can't read it and not think about how women are treated in the media yeah. right now. She, yeah. she was talking about the Amanda Knox case and, mm, like, and the documentary yeah. for that is, is, like, is crazy. You should all watch it yeah. if you haven't watched it. Yeah, which is yeah. really interesting mm-hmm. that you picked up on the Claudia Lawrence case. Mm-hmm. And how much do you think that did... I mean, it sort of obviously sparked the idea for the book, but is it was it something that you came back to again and again whilst you were writing? Is it, you know, um, or was not it more really. I mean, it was... Or? Well, it was really the experience of her family because, and particularly her dad was so promising prominent on the news oh, um, so I mean I mean, it still oh, is yeah. like they still don't have any closure um, and I don't want to sort of over labour because obviously Alexandra is nothing like Claudia but it was more just the spark of like how this situation affects a family um, and that is Mark's story and, and as much as my sympathies lie with Alexandra and I am really excited by her um, story Mark's experience is awful and tragic and nobody should go through that mm. how are you feeling about publication uh excited nervous <laughs> all of all of the feelings what date is it exactly uh the 8th of march okay mm-hmm. exciting oh, oh, i can't wait yeah. it's gonna be one of the, the first events yeah absolutely <laughs> nice. yeah, well because because we should just say on that point that you are reading at the riffraff i actually will have read at the riffraff uh, well, edit that part out <laughs> Um, well, you yes. know, we can still sort of just mention the event. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So well done on reading at the Riff Rack. You were fantastic. <laughs> you were fantastic. What Thank a you. night. What a bloody night. <laughs> so you've chosen to, as you mentioned earlier, employ quite a lot of storytelling techniques. So you've mm-hmm. kind of so you've got the letters and you've got the kind of like flashbacks and the kind of like split and the, and choosing to narrate it like in an imagined form. Yeah. So um like were there any particular challenges that came as a result of trying to master all these different ways or was it just fun did it just keep the process really fresh and give you like fun tools to kind of play around with um yeah a bit of both I guess I mean it's it is obviously fun as a writer to write from different points of view or write different styles and things I guess the challenge is then weaving them together and trying to make it feel fluid rather than jerky Mm. Yeah, I've done a great job. Yeah, and as we've been saying the whole way through this podcast, um, we won't give anything away, but <laughs> there is a twist mm-hmm. in the book. It's okay. I hope it's okay to say that there is a twist. How do you write, or how should writers approach creating a twist that is not only convincing and authentic, you know, that the reader will believe that isn't too outlandish, mm-hmm. that also they won't see coming? Because that's a real skill. Did you have to several that. versions of, I, your, well, of your ending, like I've Downton been, Abbey. Yeah, I've been thinking probably. about this a lot because, <laughs> and often when I read books that are that kind of rely on the twist, you you get to the twist and you're like, oh, okay, and then it kind of if there's nothing else after the twist, then you feel flat. Like, and and I think that's to do with like having really resisted the idea that I was writing a thriller. I wasn't trying to write the twist. Like, it wasn't mine. Mm focus um so I, I would just say like if you've got a twist make sure it's part of a 
wider truth rather mm. than just I want to manipulate my reader and make them yeah, think this yeah. and then change their mind. And and I hope it comes across as a twist and a surprise, but I'm not invested in that. If people guess yeah. halfway through, yeah. I would hope they still enjoy the details of it. Like I don't, I yeah. think any book where it is just you're trying to guess is is not heavy enough yeah, like yeah, yeah. it doesn't yeah, hold if, enough if, that, if that's yeah. the only thing that you're trying to do in the whole process is like speed through it so you can get to that point. yeah like yeah. you want everyone to appreciate all the all the techniques yeah yeah and i think yeah because if your book is just reliant on the twist and if somebody does guess it halfway mm. through then you're a bit screwed well and i think you, that's really? why you see loads of reviews don't you they're like oh i guess halfway through yeah, like blah blah, blah. it's like yeah and it's you know, there there is a joy, obviously, in reading and sort of trying to work something out. But I think that has to be one element of everything else that's going on yeah. while you're reading. I would say, like, when I've read things like Gone Girl or Girl on the Train, like, my head has never been on what is the twist here. My yeah. head is always just on, on the page I'm on, enjoying yeah. what I'm reading. You have reading, to be thinking, with the characters. Oh, oh, oh like that's, <laughs> that's the joy of reading for me. Like, I would never sit there and try and mm-hmm. second guess myself just to prove that I know what I'm... I know, Things. Exactly, and <laughs> I can never spot it. I am such a bad. I'm not even looking for it. I think that's. What I think I, I'm yeah. going to say that that's what I do because yeah. I can hmm. never see things, and I, I hate watching things with my boyfriend who always spots it and delights in telling me about three minutes in. That he's going to get killed. He's going to get killed. Yeah, <laughs> Phil. Um, and I'm like, okay, just let me enjoy it. And then of course he's always fucking right, um, and I never see it coming. But I, I prefer that. I think that's oh, nice, yeah, like, just to yeah enjoy it as for long what as it's it not is. Spoil- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just, just enjoy that kind of like the things happening that excite. Like you know, and some people would be like, "Oh, I guessed it in five minutes," and it's like, "Well, well done you, yeah, well done you, mate." Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and so I think when you're writing something like that, you have to do the same. You have to enjoy writing all of it, not just the twist. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. What did when you set out? What what did you set out to write? Did you did you have a specific genre in mind, or were you just like? No, I'm no. an awful head in the sand. Also, who didn't think about it. I mean absolutely not until like six months ago so it's, it's quite exciting having other people label your book you're yeah. like oh is that why I wrote good to know <laughs> have you found that like, so you've enjoyed that process because mm-hmm. we've spoken to other authors who were kind of you know I didn't really like being pigeonholed or I don't feel it really represents what my book is about mm-hmm. like categorization but you were quite happy for that yeah I mean all all along in the publication process I've had really good editors and my agents brilliant and they have all I think the reason that they got excited about Exhibit Alessandro is because it is cross genre that it can like work for crime thriller audiences, but it's also a bit more book groupy and ideasy yeah, yeah. and um so I think that's like that really helped me. Like I can accept the crime thriller stuff as long as like we're gonna have proper conversations about it yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, Maybe you'll get a lot invited along to some book clubs where you can talk about it. That would be great. (laughs) That's the thing. Like, I can't talk about the end and like the topics that I really want to talk about. I want to talk to people who've read the book. Yeah, like, afterwards yeah and then yeah then you can yeah. you know really discuss it in depth yeah exactly. i can do part two yeah yes, exactly <laughs> the but... spoiler edition yeah. um so what so what we always ask what kind of like what one piece of advice would you give to aspiring writers hoping to have patience and that's so hard to hear and i couldn't hear it when i was 25 like <laughs> but that is the one thing that i've really learned and I, maybe you just can't ever know that like if i had set out at the beginning think knowing that this would take seven or eight years to write I would never have written it would I but it is so important to like take your time um enjoy it when you can yeah and like doing the MA I was really glad that I did it after having written on my own for so long like I'm really glad I didn't just toddle off and do an MA as soon as I decided I wanted to write um 
it was important that I'd learnt some stuff already. Mm. Yeah. And and how did you did you have a kind of structure to your writing? Did you get up five a.m.? Did you just kind of write as and when? I'm always looking for that structure. I I work better in the mornings as lots of people do, but um, it's always a challenge to try and do it every morning isn't it Um, but you were good when you were in southeast asia yeah so that was the plan i mean it's great just take yourself out of your life and then you can have structure but yeah then you get home and you're like oh gotta get a train at 10 a.m or i've got this so it's just carving out that time isn't it i mean you guys know everything else that isn't writing kind of sucks yeah i think (laughs) it does pretty fun (laughs) oh yeah okay but you can eat whilst you write yeah literally a sort of synergy made in heaven (laughs) Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and so you've mentioned a second book. Yes. How much can you tell us about it? Um, it's about female friendship and adolescence cool. and Dover. I'm really obsessed with Dover right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> sure. So that that's what I've got. <laughs> that sounds great. So, yeah, I'm. I came back from my trip with what I'm calling a skeleton draft, which is what I wanted. It's yeah. kind of. I don't know if you've read the Zadie Smith article where she talks about putting the scaffolding up and taking it down so I'm sure all the words I've got will have to leave but it's something to play with on the page which is good that's what I'm about to do I'm about to go to Australia and do excellent I've got got nine weeks just to to write so it's it's good to know all Mm -hmm. I want is a skeleton structure yeah perfect perfect and and when can we expect that out have you got any idea when it might be coming out uh no (laughs) I've got it right at first you've got a deadline of next year have you yeah so I meant to send something to my editor in the spring okay Um, so so yeah Hopefully, hopefully not another seven years. Yeah. That would be, <laughs> That's yeah. what Please I'm aiming don't. for. Leave it another seven. <laughs> That's quite a, a bigger, sh- like a much shorter amount of time. To it spend is, on, isn't it? Are yeah. You Yes, uh, I mean, hopefully, I've learnt some stuff yeah. while writing Exhibit Alexandra. It is very different writing with a deadline I've found, yeah. and obviously, that's a super privileged position that you can't <laughs> complain about. But there's something really beautiful about just writing because you feel like you need to write and having seven years to play around and stuff that I'm finding like oh I can't explore as much as I sort of should because I'm like oh someone's waiting and people think I'm a writer this time (laughs) you are a writer writer. you're a writer before an amazing writer yeah Uh, okay great well thank you so much for coming on the Refreshed Podcast it's been lovely chatting to you and good luck thank you thank you for having me The Riffraff Podcast is hosted by co-founders Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. Come say hey at the-riffraff.com. Thank you.